Hi, everyone. This is Trickster. I'm a longtime listener of Hacker Public Radio, and with this uh, submission, I guess I'm a first-time podcaster of Hacker Public Radio. Uh, I wanted to talk about computer and console emulators, uh, but not in the context that they're usually referred to. Um, certainly everyone understands what emulators are. They allow you to emulate a particular old gaming console or computing platform without actually needing the hardware. I want to talk about why you should not use them. And let me start by describing myself a little bit. I'm uh, the co-founder of MobyGames.com, which is a large uh, gaming database, kind of like uh, IMDB, but for video games. Uh, so I'm a bit of a nut in that respect. I have about 30 uh, consoles and old computers uh, stuffed away in my crawl space. And uh, obviously, uh, if with that much of a collection, it's not just liking to own them. I, I actually, It's a usable working collection. I bring them out. I hook them up. I have a CRT television and a CRT monitor that I connect them to, etc. So uh, I feel like I have a little bit of a, a history that I wanted to share and, and why I think that if you're going to do any retro computing, you should strongly consider trying to get a hold of the real hardware because as good as emulators are, they fall down in a couple of places. Um, one of the first things that is somewhat obvious is that the graphics don't look quite right on an emulator. And by the way, when I talk about emulators, I'm going to be talking about uh, console emulators like a ColecoVision or Atari. Um, I'm talking about uh, other sorts of emulators like um, Amiga or Atari or PC or something like that. Now, some emulators are better than others uh, when it comes to how much they emulate and how accurately they do so. But uh, just in general, I feel like there is a loss of history that you are, there's some history you're missing out on when you use an emulator. And I think that you can certainly use emulators to for utilitarian purposes, like transferring disk images or very quickly researching something. But I think that you owe it to yourself to at least try the real hardware uh, at least once so that you can get a decent perspective on what the real hardware used to be like. So let me go back to graphics. Um, uh, a lot of emulators will simply display uh, pixel for pixel of what the original machine displayed. And that results in a very crisp image. It certainly results on, I think, a lot of the uh, the sort of retro-themed music videos and uh, even a few uh, internet cartoons and stuff like that where you have this very hard-edged, very big blocky pixel uh, look. But the thing is, the real hardware wasn't like that. Um, first of all, uh, the real hardware... We're talking about like a CRT, you know, monitor or a television. Uh, drew the image with uh, a series of scan lines, and what that meant was that there was an image of picture information followed by uh, what looked like a blank line, and then another picture of information, and then another blank line, etc. Uh, a lot of the original graphics for some of these computer games and, and consoles were created with that in mind. Uh, the pixels also have sort of a softer, more analog, fuzzy, rounder look to them. Um, they, if displayed on a television, they display through a series of phosphors. They're not this, you know, super perfect LCD pixel, uh, you know, look that you get through an emulator. And, um, you know, I could go on and on. The, the color gamut is different. Um, but actually, uh, in researching this a little bit, I, I was reminded of uh, Ian Bogost's uh, post where he... Uh, tasked some uh, college uh, students to try to add this type of fuzzy emulation to Stella. 
Um, and so uh, I'll have the link to that uh, in the show notes. He has this nice uh, post with before and after pictures of uh, what a straight emulation of an Atari 2600 looks like and then what, you know, it, what it really looked like on a television. And although I think some of the artificial fuzziness that, uh, that he's adding is a little too strong, like it's a little too noisy, um, it's still closer, I think, than what you would get out of a straight, you know, emulator image. Um, you know, another reason to try stuff on the real hardware in terms of graphics is that the refresh rate is not always compatible with the output devices that we have. Um, your typical LCD is going to take, uh, is going to be either 60 hertz or 120 hertz or some multiple of that, 240 hertz if you have a really fancy television or something. And the sometimes the original games weren't that cut and dry, and a lot of them were. A lot of them were, I'm, I'm talking about arcade games, for example, a lot of them uh, were NTSC refresh rates, but there are a couple of, of really important ones that uh, are not. Like, for example, uh, Mortal Kombat, which I'll refer to uh, a little bit later when I talk about input devices. Mortal Kombat has a refresh rate of 53 hertz. Um, seriously, 53. That's not merely... I mean, that's a prime number. That's not that's not integral or divisible to, to anything. Um, when you display Mortal Kombat uh, on an emulator, it doesn't matter how good the emulator is, it is going to be inserting frames to make up for the fact that 50, it has to map 53 frames per second onto a 60 frame per second device. And when you're talking about fighting games like Mortal Kombat, um, you know, Street Fighter, etc., where some uh, players have gotten so good that they can time movements down to the individual uh, combos down to the specific individual frame uh, that will mess it up. That messes up the game. Uh, it messes up your enjoyment of it. Now, it may seem that may seem like a very minor detail, but that's along the lines of of what I'm talking about. So uh, again, it's it's helpful if you can get your hands on the the original hardware to to at least see what it looked like. Now, along these lines, some emulators have gotten uh, very good at emulating the uh, all the intricacies of the specific video hardware. I think that uh, the Commodore 64 emulators that are out there, uh, certainly the Atari uh, 2600 emulators, um, I think the WinUAE, the Amiga emulator, has, has come a long way, but there are some emulators that have not. Uh, and there are some tricks that are used in some games. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, some 8-bit games or personal computing games from the 80s that uh, still don't look right on an emulator. Um, you know, the PC is sort of a unique example in that the PC was sort of a moving target. It never really... A, a lot of platforms went away, like the Apple and the Commodore. The PC didn't. The PC never really went away. It grew into, you know, the Windows machines that we use today. Um, so whenever you encounter some sort of a graphical trick on an old you know, CGA game on, on running on an 8088 or something like that. Um, most emulators don't display it properly because, uh, again, it was never a fixed target, and it certainly is possible to emulate it perfectly. I know that VGA has uh, emulation has come a long way in DOSBox, but um, some of the older standards like CGA, uh, they haven't. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, in particular, there's a game, uh, California Games, the PC version, Normally, a CGA game is uh, limited to four colors at a time, uh, and it can switch through banks of these four colors by switching palettes. California games would show more than one, more than one palette on screen at a time by switching it mid-frame. The PC, though, has no circuitry to do this. 
it's not like you could just, it's not like an Amiga Copper where you could just say, hey, on this scan line, could you please switch to a different palette? Um, so it was done manually through timing of the CPU. If you have an emulator that isn't cycle exact, or if you have an emulator that does not um, emulate, you know, down to the overscan and borders and stuff like that, exactly the, the video circuitry, these tricks don't display right. And so, you know, you, you get a messed up screen, you get a screen that uh, has only one solid color or the wrong colors. Another example I can think of uh, off the top of my head is uh, Super Zaxxon. Uh, again, I'm talking about the PC version specifically. Um, and I do apologize. I should probably have come up with lots of different examples here, but the PC is one I'm most familiar with. Um, Super Zaxxon displayed the scrolling, the diagonally scrolling playfield uh, on CGA in a fairly ingenious way um, in that it utilized the a quirk of how CGA was implemented. If you try to display video memory beyond the address space uh, that is presented to you, it, it wraps around and it starts displaying memory from the beginning of the address space. And this quirk was exploited by the programmer of Super Zaxxon to move this diagonal, diagonally this, this play field. Um, there is no emulator that I'm aware of, even with uh, rewritten CGA uh, and Motorola 6845 routines in mess, that can display this game properly. You're only going to see it correctly if you have the original hardware. So there's another example. Another good reason to seek out the original hardware is the input device. What's missed, I think, sometimes is that um, the some of these early arcade games were had entire input devices created for the game. Um, and if you really want to experience the game, some, certainly sometimes to give you a better advantage in playing the game as it was meant to be played, you need to be using the original hardware. I'm thinking of things like uh, Tron, for example, which had a uh, control stick plus the fire button was a trigger on the control stick plus a rotary dial, um, kind of, you know, think Pong or something like that, where you could, or Tempest, where you could rotate all around. So it was kind of this, uh, you know, precursor to, I shouldn't say precursor, I think Robotron actually came out around the same time. So in order to properly move and aim in both Tron and also in games like Robotron, you need to, Robotron, of course, uses dual sticks. You need to actually have that interface. And when you play that game in an emulator, if you've never encountered that game before, um, and you try to play it, it's either very difficult or it seems very clumsy, you know, and you're not, you're not getting the full impact of what the designers were trying to, to convey. Um, another example, for example, uh, is um, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat had an X-like button layout. Uh, it wasn't the, the typical, you know, all the buttons nice in a row. It was uh, like an X. And then also in Mortal Kombat 3, they added a, a run button, which is at the lower left of the button cluster, uh, and it seems like a very strange way to lay it out, but the they did that on purpose, at least in terms of the run button, because uh, that your thumb was usually unused and landed right on that button, so you could use your thumb to run. Um, when you try to play this, you can re you can certainly play this in an emulator. You can remap the controls to the to the device you're using, but some of them are going to seem a little weird. Um, and when you play it on the actual hardware, you realize why they chose some of the combos button presses that they did. It's because the buttons are close together or they make sense in a certain context. You know, this extended to, you know, to computer games as well. Um, one example, like for, you know, there may be, uh, I think I remember either a pinball game or some other game where you have to, where there's just a definitive left and right. And it uses the, uh, 
Alt and Caps Lock keys. Now go ahead and look down at any keyboard that you're in front of right now. The Alt and the Caps Lock keys are very close to each other and one's higher than the other. And why would you use that for left and right? Well, on the, com on the computer I'm thinking of, the original uh, IBM PC 5150 with its 83 key keyboard, the Caps Lock and the Alt keys were at opposite ends of the keyboard on either side of the spacebar. So it made perfect sense that one would be left and right or left flipper, right flipper, that kind of thing. You know, and you miss this when you, you know, if you play stuff uh, without that original input device. Instead of talking about all of the different things you could possibly be missing, I'm, I'm going to center on just one, <laughs> which is the disk drive. When you play in an emulator, you're missing the disk drive. Why is this important? Why is it so important that the WinUAE developers added in the ability to emulate, very convincingly I might add, the sound of the disk drive. You can do this. You can go into WinUAE and you can turn on the sound of the disk drive. And uh, it sounds like this. You may be thinking, why is that important? Um, it's important because it represents a lot. It represents that the machine is doing something and when it's doing it, it's a single tasking machine. I mean, I'm just using something like, you know, the Apple or the PC or whatever as an example, not specifically the Amiga. I know the Amiga could do things while the disk drive was going on, but it's an indication of uh, when the programmer chose to load data, how long the data loading took. Um, and this can affect you in sort of a, a subconscious way. You begin to associate things like... Uh, you know, anticipation for something happening when you when you hear the disk drive going, if it's a game loading that you really like. Uh, there are other subtle cues that you may pick up on. Here's, here's an interesting story. I remember being able to fairly easily predict uh, if I was going to win a battle that I was about ready to step into in wizardry, or if I was about to lose it, or if it was going to give me a hard time. And I don't know why, I just got this really great, like as soon as I kicked down the door, in a dungeon, uh, I always seem just within the first second or two, I always seem to figure out, you know, this is going to be easy or I'm going to get my butt kicked. Turns out I was taking cues from the disk drive. Whenever there were more monsters to to fight, it had to load more graphical images. And so I actually got, I actually started picking up, uh, whether consciously or subconsciously, the, the, the head-seeking patterns of the drive you know, when it was loading more graphics or different graphics, and that got me, that, that gave me the cue about whether or not it was going to be a difficult battle or an easy one. This is all part of a, a visceral experience that, uh, again, you're missing <laughs> if you're not using an emulator. I think I've beaten up on emulators enough, um, and uh, hopefully I've planted the seed of, of, you know, explaining why there are some old freaks like me that collect all this hardware and stuff it in our crawl space and have, you know, build sheds specifically to house their arcade cabinets or whatever. I think I've beaten up on emulators enough. I think the emulator bashing should come to a stop. Hopefully I've planted in your head the germ of, you know, the kernel of an idea of why people go through the trouble of collecting entire arcade cabinets, um, you know, bidding on old computers on eBay, etc. Um... And rather, you know, instead of leaving on a completely horrible negative note, I thought I'd explain a couple of reasons why even diehards like me still do use emulators. Actually, it really only comes down to two reasons. The first is multiplayer over the internet 
But the main reason I can sum up in two words is state save. The ability to save an entire machine's state and dump it to disk and then turn off the emulator, then later on come back to it, turn it on, is fantastic for things like Sega Genesis uh, games that take six hours to complete and have no way of saving the game, no save points, no codes, no nothing. Um, you can also use state save and, and quick, you know, the, the, the speedrun people certainly know this. You can uh, save state when you're doing good in the game, and then if you screw up, you can quickly restore state and go right back to where you were. So it gives a save game functionality to games that never had it. Is that cheating? Maybe, but I would rather play a game in an emulator with a fighting chance of completing it and giving the people who designed it their due and their respect than, you know, tossing it in the corner saying, this is too hard, I'm never going to do it. So, why you shouldn't use emulators and a few reasons why you should. I hope this has been relatively useful. Again, uh, this is Trickster, and uh, if you want to chat about old games or anything at all, please feel free to email me uh, at trickster at oldschool.org. There's some X's and K's in there, so I'll put my actual email in the show notes. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.